You said different, so you got different. Like, didn't I teach you to do that? Yes. I think it was a warm-up thing. Yes. All those acting I, things. I don't, I don't think you taught him. I think Sesame Street probably taught him that one. Uh, all right. I yeah. reiterated it, though. You did reiterate it. Yeah. That's, that's my... You're a reiter- I, I, I frequently uh, echo Sesame Street. Reiterator, raider. What? I don't know. No one knows. <laughs> of all the things... Oh, so just... when I don't make sense, it's a problem. When you don't make sense, it's so, normal. Yes. So aghast. You're not what? supposed to that be... That was nuts, Matt. How dare you? I'm the nonsensical up, one. I'm nonsensical. I'm non-sequestual. I'm non-duplus. Whatever. Quit. Like, I'm Stop. Just quit it. Abort. <laughs> quit. Just exit. <sighs> new week. So. New podcast. Um, I got to go to the Air and Space Museum in um, D.C. over the weekend. Science. Cool. Science, yeah. Technology. And all that finger waggling investment. The they have a huge industry. Yeah. Oh, oh! They actually have shut up. They actually have a whole thing on Amelia Earhart there, which was really yes, interesting. because she was awesome. Yes, and it that, was really cool. About it, yeah. They had replicas of her plane and stuff well, like that. What was that. And I just read a news article that they were doing sonar, sonar readings at the bottom of the South Pacific. They may have found her her uh, her plane? airplane. Really? Yeah. They, they think, may have. They think they know where Hoffa's buried too. But anyway. They're actually going to be digging up a field hoping that Jimmy Hoffa's body's there. Uh, that was just in the news today. Anyway, you know, remember we were talking last week with the gentleman from the, Average awesome, po- the awesome Podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm Average call- Intelligence. I'm calling them the Awesome Podcast. Average Awesomeness. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were talking about that Spock uh, laser disc infomercial. I I suggested Steve that to them. That no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, you brought that up. Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm, it's it hard the, to remember yesterday. Yeah, it was the Magnavox Laserdisc. Okay. Time, 79. Let me tell you this. My brother, and didn't even talk to him, didn't mention anything like this, picked up two dozen of those discs over the weekend. Really? Laser yes. Discs? Does he yes. have any way to play them? They're th- not yet. They are huge. <laughs> and he probably won't. They are monstrous. But he picked up, like, David Bowie, uh, like, three Jimi Hendrix pieces... They had crazy... The Magical also, Mystery Tour, and then the, the soundtrack for Animal House. Like, it was amazing. Well, these were also primarily for, for films in the day. Like, you could buy full movies on the Laserdisc, um, although they were like 75 bucks. But they, they had Star Wars on it. They had all the... Uh, Not it was 75 bucks. But it was so random. <laughs> it was so random. I just showed up at the house. I walked into the garage, and I see these things. I was like, "Oh, cool, new records." What? We're always collecting records, and I'm going through it. I'm like, "That's not hey, a record." Why is this so like rigid and heavy? And I pull it out. I was like, "Holy cow! It's giant CDs." We were just talking about this. That's pretty much what laser discs, discs were. <laughs> were giant CDs. That's so right. I was explained it to him, and we played. I played for him. Although they were an analog, the Leonard Nimoy commercial, oh. and by. 
two and a half minutes in, they're dying of laughter. Well, because it, it was ridiculous. It's great. I mean, it's it's an alien that has specifically come to Earth to preach to us about the awesomeness of the laser disc and how it is the wave of the future, which inevitably only lasted for about seven years. But then again, it gave us barely. two CDs. Yeah, barely, and it didn't even really catch on. It Although was... I had a science teacher who did actually give us several lectures using old. Uh, like, you know, made for broadcasting spread around the Board of Ed on LaserDisc. LaserDisc? He disc? showed it to, like, kids, this is a LaserDisc. <laughs> you may have it, never seen one of these, I never will. LaserDiscs no, no. are like beta tapes and, and it was HD the, DVD. It was the format war of the yeah. time. Yeah. Very well, brief format war. It Very gave brief. us CDs, alright? You know what? Don't knock it. This is true, Be although they, they used analog encoding. This is pre-digital. Yes. Yeah. Pre-digital. Be kind, rewind. Oh, dad memories. Wait, you're Be saying kind, it starts from the middle and works its way out? I just love that. <laughs> Good stuff. The exact opposite way of a regular record. Anyway, speaking of <laughs> records, this week's Intriguing. album... Unless anybody has more to add. Not really. This week's album was an all-pick. Daft Punk's Random Access Memory. And we should all talk about it because... It was an all-pick. All picked it. Yeah. Now, this is... With the, the, with the way we've provocated about... Daft Punk constantly. It was yeah, a no-brainer for it to be an all-pick and to do this record. All right. This is their fourth studio album. Only their fourth because they have two live, two compilations, one soundtracks, three remixes on top of all their other music. Mm-hmm. Oh, 17 singles. Uh, Technically, I would say that the soundtrack to Tron would also be an album, but, I mean... It's still the, just a soundtrack. No, I know. Well, it's very easy to have a lot, all those singles when you primarily do dance club music. So, that's true. But this is this is only technically their fourth album. Yes, this is their 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 fourth full length album of original material, non remixed and just straight Studio up. Studio album. Although not straight up Daft Punk, they have a lot of featured artists. Uh, five to be exact. Well, four technically. One of them featured twice. So. But it songs. is like the thirteenth or twelfth CD you could buy by them. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Yes. I have. And I think a they have lot the greatest hits, don't they? That's part of their compilations oh, uh, or remixes. I don't even know anymore. And you know what I never... We never really talk about? Album art. The album, I love the album I thought art. I'd point that out because the album art is very retro. It's exactly like something you'd find on, it's on half, a vinyl from the 70s. It's half one helmet, it's just, half I feel the other. Like, it's, it's the colorization. Something yeah, and the it. split helmet. It's just... Yeah. I feel like... Like, at first looking at that, I didn't even get an inkling that it was a retro album. But now after listening to it straight through and looking at the album art, I'm like, okay, this isn't an accident. This is clearly very much on purpose. With the they wanted italic- to do a throwback. With the italicized, standard print, script-oriented. And this brings us to our age-old question like we had with Eve 6, we had with the Young Veins. Speaking of which, I meant to tell you, Steve, mm-hmm. Sarah says thank you. We listened to the Young uh-huh. Veins album and she really liked it. Oh, well, you're welcome. But then she had the same reaction I did when, when I told her, but there won't be any others. And she went, oh. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing. It was really just a side project to yeah. them to see if they could do something like that. But anyway, in regards to, to Young Veins, this no, is I'm, in that I'm, vein I'm actually of... very glad you brought that up because it is very much like we're going to bring back the era. Just, yeah. just, just briefly, just to see if we can invent something new in the style of the old. Yeah, and yeah. This, this is definitely along those lines. So, first track actually kind of sums up that whole idea. Give life back to music. It's in the title. This was 70s introduced funky guitars. It was, a, it was a, let's put it this way, it was a disco track. And it used the same level of funkiness that you would find in a disco track. Yes. And mm-hmm. disco itself was kind of short-lived. 
only really around for like 75 to 79. So it's kind of it's kind of funny that they would go back to that specific era. Well, because disco was all about the dance and dance music. Well, disco was the popularization of electronica. Yeah, it was it was a dead end genre. And we know how you love dead-end genres, so uh, you're going to have to do disco at one point. It, that's very t- or true. It was a dead-end, <laughs> although it, it had its offshoots. I, mean, I still think, though, that for this track, it was a strong intro track. It's it was just a- funny that as of 1979, everyone wanted disco dead. Yeah. Like, everyone was sick of it after four years. Like, I'm not sick of this. I love the well, funk. It's I r- love the funk. It has the nostalgia factor for us. It has the, almost the camp factor. Like, we look back on it. And we're like, ah, that was quirky and of of the time. But when I was listening to this record, like when I put on the album and this started playing, was not what I expected. Because the album is not an electronica album. It's it's like so many other things we wanted to do electronica, and this is a disco electronica funk. It ain't pure electronica. It's got a little bit of blues. It, ha- in it, it has too. interludes, or which jazz, which, which offer a little bit more funk than disco. Yeah. But remember, the two bleed together. Uh, disco is essentially popified funk. Yeah. It, it was made for dancing. It was made to kind of loop on endlessly. Um, the Bee Gees are really the only ones that I know of that made the super hit singles. Oh yeah. Uh, Dan- uh, dancing, yeah. staying alive. There was a lot of other disco that was just very, uh, you know. Basically, basically, I mean, also, but, but the reason Bee Gees also had such big singles is, I mean, Saturday Night Fever, I mean, yeah. they were all over that soundtrack. And also their personalities and everything. Oh, of course. You know, they, they, had, they, they were, had, big, they big were icons of the 70s. I mean, everyone, hearing Staying Alive can picture the music video of Staying Alive, them walking down the street, singing white suits. Like, I mean, yeah. it was very, very they indicative also, of the time. They popularized the discotheque, yeah. the idea of going out and clubbing. That style clubbing too. was a very different kind of thing before them. Yeah. So. There were roller skates. That's a whole nother level. No, I kind of skipped that era of music in my education as a young child, so I never really got well, into it. That's the old joke, is that in the 70s, that there was a war, essentially, and the people who liked classic rock were the rockers wearing denim and, yeah. and tough guys, and then the discos were the people wearing the giant V-necks with the chest hair just popping out, and all slick and bell-bottoms. There was just... It was a clash of personalities. We have and, similar cliques today. And the that early was the generation punkers who really didn't leave their basement... Uh, Music stages. That's true. They yeah. were very, they were the underground for the time. Yeah. They almost weren't even in the war. Well, that's they were the entire idea everything. behind punk right. rock. So we uh, just summed up an era. Anyway, back to the music <laughs> that we've listened to. to this give life back to the music. I thought for, uh, I liked it. I yeah, really enjoyed it, it as an intro. I mean, it's not by far the best track on the record, but I thought it was a solid, strong intro track. It introduced you to what this record was going to be. It wasn't a super intro track, but it yes, it, it very much it summed up the record. It accomplished what an intro track at a bass level has to do. Exactly. Prepare you for the record. Exactly. It gets you moving, and there's a simple pr- profoundness, I suppose, to the line. Let the music of your life give life back to music. It kind of inspires you to create. Yeah. yeah, that became a running theme in this album as well. Yeah. The creation project and the 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 level. I can't. I don't know how to phrase this. The impact music has on life in general was really a running theme in a lot of these tracks. Well, especially considering the story that we get in track three, but we'll yeah. get there. Um, track so track two, Game of Love, was we jump a decade and it was this kind of '80s slow groove. Lionel Richie-esque, seductive... It, 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 it Emotionally, it kind of started as this kind of very seductive... It was a slow track. jam. 
It was a slow jam, a seductive yeah, slow not, jam. Yeah, but then towards the end, it got very melancholy. It went from seductive to very melancholy, almost sad and depressing, which is odd for a seductive 80s track. It That's was, true. It was that combo between... It was kind of unique in that right. The guitar work and the uh, electronica tones that were paralleling the guitar work that I think brought out that melancholy to a forefront. Then there was um, the almost expose of the vocals as an instrument. The first real introduction of old school The vocalizer. Style. The vocalizer. Yeah. It was in the first track, but in this one, they the, the words the became sound, notes. The vocalizer sounds like the name of a really cheesy 80s supervillain. The vocalizer. Yeah. Okay. He'll Inspired. take your voice and turn it into anything his his will commands. Exactly. He no, he could like control sound and things like that. It was the humming through the synth work that really cemented, oh yeah, this is daft. This yeah. is a daft punk track. Because that's what they use. They like to but have their voices feel, with... It didn't feel super electronic, super techno. It was still very It was much really more of a retro. slow jam. It was, it was kind very of... Retro. It's the game of love. It's really... It's got... The, you said it yourself. It's seductive. Yeah. It's really more about that, that 1980s, um, you know, dark, in, in the rain kind the, of love. The yes. repetition of, and it was you, through the synth. Yeah. And it was you. Yeah. Like, it was really very forcefully melancholy. But now let's go to something else here, because the keyboard solo. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun? It didn't seem to match the feel of the track in the, to the same... I, I felt like it actually matched the vocals. Um... It really did. Well, the vocals were... were that, that was the melody. But this was more of an interlude. You break away from the verse, and then all of a sudden they offer the solo, which didn't really feel like it went anywhere. It was kind of it was kind of creative. I will give it that. Yeah. But it felt like it belonged in a different track. It felt like the motives that they were using were. I wanted more from it, even though they just took me from a slow jam. That that mashup was strange for me. Yeah, but the, now that we're talking about it, this record is kind of. A, has a plethora of strange mashups all over the place. It does. But this was the first one that I noticed. Because right. on the whole, I did like the keyboard solo. Yeah. I just felt like it, it had it had more potential than where it lay in the album and, right. and where it lay in the song. Because then we just are brought right back to the slow jam. So, eh, I don't know. It's my first little gripe. Didn't lead anywhere. Which is a, a problem that I have later on as well. Moving on to track three. Um, this is... Uh, Giorgio by Morador. So this I think I'm pronouncing that second word right. Sort of. Morador? It's not Morador, <laughs> it's Morador, which is his last name. Uh, this is about Giorgio, as he's known in the business. He is uh, early, uh, mid-late 70s synth artist who actually created a music studio where a lot of guys like Elton John and ELO have worked at, so this is a guy who's got chops when it comes to the synthesizer. And it's a story about how he was inspired by the synthesizer to create the music of the future, as he calls it. Mm. And this was like brought new meaning to the term storytelling song. It, it starts just like that, with him telling the story of how he started in the business and then goes into this wonderful... An interesting and evolving techno song, and then comes back to him telling more of the it, story. It the doesn't only even thing start tech, it doesn't even start techno. 
I would, while he's speaking, it starts as disco. Yeah, while yeah. he's speaking, he's doing it, disco work. If anything, I I found this to be more of a. That's what I thought it was in the beginning. I thought it was more like a tribute to disco, but it became so many other things, yeah. which is why my ultimate conclusion for this track was a medley. It's not really a solid theme. It's more like a mashup of various incarnations of what he felt to be the future, and some of which <laughs> panned out, some of which didn't. But ultimately, it offers a lot of things. I mean, we get incredible solos near the end. We get an incredible, uh, an incredible keyboard solo, an incredible bass solo, incredible drum solo, all in one track. Violin. It shows the record scratching. Yeah. The uh, the layer control in this song is astounding. Every instrument that gets introduced into this song gets intro- actually introduced. You'll be listening, and you hear soft little guitar work in the background because you know in about thirty seconds you're going to get a guitar solo. I did you notice get that, and soft it was little it was bass work, and then you're going to get a bass solo, and I love that. It was one thing that saved me from. The recurring problem that I sometimes see in techno is that sometimes the loops can go on almost endlessly. Like, if you're not in a dance setting, sometimes it can be a little bit off-putting. And there were certain sections which were looped for long periods of time, but they offered a little bit something. Like, to speak to what you're talking about, the keyboard was sort of comping during one of those sections of loop. And then, right after that, you get the awesome keyboard solo, which was straight-up jazz. With a backbone of bass and drums and just, yeah, beautiful jazz keyboard work in there. And the, the, when he comes back into the talking, not to interrupt you, Matt, but when he comes back into the talking and they bring those violins, I loved it. Well, I loved it as well, but it does bring up one other problem, is the reason I call it a medley is I did not feel that all, all these things were necessarily tied together. They were more strung together, almost in the same way that, you know, last week I, I took issue with um, with, with the Polka Power track yeah. of Weird Al's. It, it's like, okay, that's fair. I understand what he's trying to do. I just didn't feel as, as cohesive a song as more of a compilation. I disagree. So do I. Emotionally, this album conveys clearly a triumph in his ability to create music, as well as it conveys his different levels of inspiration and what inspires him. It's not really a problem for me. I, I want to stress that. It's just the facts. It is a medley. But I'm saying, they're, I don't think they're as loosely strung together as you're saying. There's a solid backbone. They're strung together by the beat, for sure. Yes. But and, and also, it's solid. clearly these are the different sounds that inspired him and what he thought the future was. And... And I, I think that's say, what the theme in the track is. The explosive nature of the ending of this song, with the guitar work at the end, the electric guitar, is just, it culminates so beautifully. Well, let's, let's just start at the beginning here. There's one element, as soon as he's done with his monologue, he explains how he used the Moog, which is one of the first synthesizers that really gained prominence in the late 60s, how he used the Moog to start off with a simple metronome beat, which essentially is the the, the nucleus, like the core of everything that, um, that techno became. You start off with that simple beat, and that is the rigidity that a lot of techno is bound to, not saying that to a, ne- to a negative end, but right. it, it, it gives it that futuristic, the perfection, you know? The, it, you're not bound by human error. And that's part of the reason why uh, techno did gain prominence, is people like listening to something that feels pure, and the synthesizer has an effect of doing that. I'm, I'm, 
I'm a little surprised by that description. Why? Oh. I'm, not, I'm happy with that description, too. That's more eloquent than I could ever put it. Well, hey, it's I you. tried to find the good in things. Thank you. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just don't see... I call bullshit. Um, <laughs> I don't see that disconnect here that you seem to be picking up on. I feel like this is a cohesive... Well, I, If you think about it, look, this is more of a... It, it's more of a jam than anything else. It's more like, all right, picture a jazz band. It's all right, let's 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 give it to the piano. Piano's going to take it for the next five minutes. All right. And we go back to maybe do another theme. Oh, let's hand it over to the bass. Dance then the bass does his thing. It is tied together loosely, but all it is still... All we need is a drama. Shut up. Get out of here. Point is, it is separate individual themes. They... There is a loose connection. It's just not a full connection. I mean, the, and the, the, if anything, this connection is obviously the story. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I'm just I'm speaking abstract terms. Moving on to within, um, this track as a follow up to to Giorgio, I mean, I liked it, but it was one of those things that start scratching your head. Well, I yeah, I mean it. It's a, it has a beautiful piano opening, and and it's kind of like this piano, this solo piano, John had put it, is searching for the rest of the song. But when it and finds the rest of the song, I mean... It loses the, its personality. I, I, yes and no. You know, there's a, there's a definitive musical reason for that, and I found this in the in the information on this album, is that the, the, the intro of that track is actually modulating to the key of subsequent tracks. Which is why we get that change in tone for the rest. We move into a lot more dancier tunes after that. Right. It, it's more of a straightforward track after the after the intro. But yeah. The intro was really deep. It, yeah. it offered a because it was you know modulating. We're moving through a lot of chords. It it could have been so much more. So as interesting of an idea as that is, modulating sort of shifting the tone of the album yeah. to what we're going to be getting for several tracks on from now yeah it, it still kind of robbed me of of the potential of that intro yeah but i mean it was i mean it wasn't snippetized it was a significant like minute or so that we got to, to sit with this piano and the rest of the song and the lyrics kind of still perpetuated that lost and found kind of feeling you know trying to find where you're going so the theme of the song didn't really change even though the tone did that's a good point it also it really started creating the theme work that this album really unifiedly seems to be based upon which is sort of like the album is is it's from the point of view of artificial intelligence the, well the i mean lines, after all daft punk are robots yeah that's they play that up very much so and their personas that they've become over the years really is the ai like the idealized ai which is why they keep themselves so out of the public eye yeah and but just there was, there was a very persona. human element to this track so yeah. i'm not sure that's, that really a, that's what i'm saying that's the ai the, an ai is a humanized computer you go, you're going right back to uh steam-powered giraffe right here because they did a very it's similar the flip thing. side it's yeah. the flip side yeah but lines i've been for some time looking for someone i need to know Please tell me who I am. I mean, it's it's yeah. that exploration it's, of what you are. It yeah. was sweet. I suppose my only beef here is that on the musical side of things, it, it brought me right back to a slow jam, which there's no shortage of on this right. album. And yeah, but, but also for Daft Punk, I mean, this also, this album feels like an evolution. It's a, it's a jump back to a previous time, but still an evolution for Daft Punk, because Daft Punk, from what I know of the previous albums, though I haven't heard them in their entirety... 
they didn't feature a lot, a lot of singing. Whereas this record actually features a lot of guest singers and singing by Daft Punk. They have well, a lot true. of repetitive singing they have the vo- like they have... Within. Within is yeah. very much their style of vocal work. Yes. But then their lyrical work. Vocalizer then, work. It's more used right. as an instrument than it is as yes. an actual... And also their lyrical composition. Very repetitive and modulated. But it changes once ah, we get to the next track. It's not really I modulated. Would. I would. It's not really uh, how, how, I'm going to go that far. How would you put it? How, why would you say that? John's doing that thing where he uses a word but doesn't want that word. He wants a different word. That's because you, you didn't use no, it. No, right. moderated. <laughs> See? That's the word. It's They moderate their vocals. Which is the exact opposite of yeah. modulate. <laughs> yeah, opposite. Strike that, reverse it. Wrong it's, it's moderate. Yes, it's moderate in its um, in its delivery. It's it's it doesn't really change the overall tone, to be honest. Because no. the most instrument. it changed was in the intro, and to be honest, after the fact, I was a little I was a little bummed. Yeah, but again, I still think that within keeps a, a, a distinct theme throughout. Even if the change well, that you got, you didn't like. At that point, John would be correct. It is moderate. Yeah. <laughs> I but, won't take it any farther than that. But but going to track five from here, Instant Crush, the first time we get a, a featured uh, vocalist, so Julian Casablancas of Boombox fame. He also was in that band, band The Strokes. Yeah, but, I forgot about The Strokes. But Lonely he was Island's in the Boombox. Boombox. It's not a toy. Uh, he was featured, uh, the lead singer of The Strokes was featured here on Instant Crush. And this is another song that kind of rise the line between 80s or it not another song it's a song that rides the line between 80s and 70s it's got that very distinct 80s 70s pop structure it even had an element of new wave which i thought was kind of strange because that's really going over to more rock side of things but new wave at least even though it was consisted of even though it consisted of mostly uh you know acoustic instruments yeah it had it had that same way of of precision timing if you consider some of a lot of the stuff that that blondie did uh, it it just very straightforward. And it it that, seems almost robotic in the way that humans are singing, so it's not a stretch. And also, this bar. was written by Julian Casablancas as well as Daft Punk, so that rock influence definitely came from him. It had to have. Yeah. And but at its core, this is a pop, you know, still a pop structured love song. I mean, that's really all it is at at, at its heart. A little creepy. A little bit. Yeah. And we will never be alone again. That's the cor- That's from the chorus. Yeah. Well, when you say it like that... It kind of does say it like that, though. It, it, yeah. I will never be alone again. It's more upbeat, but it's still a little creepy. I do like the line, um, 1,000 lonely stars hiding in the cold. Take it, oh, I don't want to sing anymore. Like, you're getting that emotionality. I think the only- finally. Finally, the lyrics are becoming emotional. Uh... I bought it, but it was still kind of dancey for yes, me to yeah. get that into the emotion of it. Like, you're too, busy, you're too busy moving to really be like, oh, that's sweet. <laughs> like, eh. The, the, the fleeting guitar solo was the most emotional part of the song. Yeah, I'll get that. I'll give you that. But it was still, it was almost out of place for that reason. Well, it was fleeting. Yeah. It, well, there's even a fleeting nature to the melody, to be, in, I... to be honest. The melody felt like it could have gone somewhere. It felt a little, It was nice. It was sweet, but it was a little transient. I feel like that this song was a lot easier to get behind emotionally than the next one. The next one is the purest of dance songs on the record, I feel, or one of. This is if Prince could distill his music into injectable form, you, you couldn't become more infectious than this song. It has the dance beat. Well, 
We both we both, we all agreed that Get Lucky was also probably just as infectious and funnily enough sang by the same person. I'm gonna take a step further. Instead of infectious, I'm gonna go ahead and say uh, borderline hypnotic. I didn't want to dance. I didn't want to dance. I found myself grooving. Well, I there didn't. You go. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It it. This is grooving uh, implies that you're in a zone that so you're the in, song, that someone can't yank you from if so they the, tried. So the song we're talking about, of course, is "Lose Yourself to Dance," the first of the two songs on the record to feature Pharrell Williams of NERD. Yes. And um, I'm it, quite a fan of him as a vocalist, so I he, thought that he's was, a great singer. He's been featured on tons of hip hop. It, it's kind and, of a strange and, and other choice, though, because I mean. I consider his, he's such an animated vocalist, and that almost takes away from the robotic nature of the way in which Daft Punk usually uses their vocals, but it, but it, it, it added something for that reason. Wait, wait, wait. But it was for a good contrast, I feel. No, I agree. And speaking of that contrast, when they brought the vocals of Daft singing along with him, it was really nuanced layering in those vocal work. Well, it was a very nice harmony that was brought in, yes. And this song is pretty much just, just all about getting lost in the music, and it's very easy to lose yourself in this song, which is fairly clever, intentional or not. And I'm sure there was at least some intention behind it. But, yeah. but... There was got, fantastic it got long. layering. It got long. Towards the end, yeah. it was a little bit repetitive, but... Because it based, it restarted the whole song for the last minute and a half, and it really, it, it was, okay, I'm done, let's move on. Well, that's the problem. I mean, it's a nice tribute to the whole, like, perpetuation of the perspiration of, like, a great dancing session that's just going on and on and on until the wee hours of the morning. Like, oh, look, the sun's out, and you're still dancing. But that's great if you're in a dance club on an album. Eh, sometimes I just, yeah, it, it pulls away from me a little bit. But it does pump you. It does. It no, does. it does. It might be another single, to be honest. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, and I don't buy that. I don't buy that on an album. It does not place because I mean, plenty yeah. of bands do dance tracks on their record. I, I didn't say it didn't have a place. Um. Uh, I'm just saying it's, it's it's a little bit weaker than if it had actually been continuously looped oh, okay, for the sake of a DJ. I understand. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, going from Lose Yourself to Dance, we go to Touch, which, as far as innovative and creative tracks go, I mean, I thought um, uh, Giorgio was going to be the most innovative track on the record just because it had that kind of talking bit that was un completely unexpected. But I was wrong because Touch came along. And Touch is featuring the singing of Paul Williams, of all people, which is kind of out of left field. It kind of made for this creative, inventive, brilliant journey that also felt like it could have... Creative, inventive, and brilliant. <laughs> it, wow. The beginning... Okay, the, this is a song that really does have to be broken down. The beginning is weird, tonal, com It's almost combined. like a 70s crooner kind of atmosphere. Well, no, that's more Paul Williams' section. The beginning... The beginning is really disjointed... No, I'm sorry, yes. The beginning is like 1950s... Fragmentation of the music. It's 1950s... Uh, I can't even say techno. I can't... I can barely even say electronica. It's 1950s electronic music. The kind that you would find in higher budget uh, science fiction films, such yes. as Forbidden Planet. And it had a very science fiction-y feel, especially towards the end of that first section where the the... The vocals get very almost creepy and just kind of very aggressive. Yeah, real, real chill down your spine. Yeah. This is a little bit on the scary side. 
And he's actually singing. He's he's saying the lines from the song. This this is this is the but opening then, lines. Then there's right. this huge tonal shift once he gets to the next section. And it's just pure where... touch. And that's how the whole that's how the song really starts. And it's this was it's a, a pure note. It was a strange transition, but I accepted it because Me of too. the inventiveness of this track. This really is probably easily the most inventive but track of the was... album. It became a Broadway track. Yeah, Through I was going to say, the middle tr- section was Paul Williams' Broadway track. I honestly had never really been familiar with uh, Paul Williams before or any of his work, but I, I'm, I'm quite taken by his by his work on this on this uh, track. Oh, it's really great. The it's, lyrics, it's a crooner voice. It's that yeah. it's that swooning, you know, 1970s, uh, you get, even 60s. You get this heavy emotion, almost theatrical. Not just animated but it is theatrical you can hear the emotion in every syllable the lines of touch a painter in my mind these are from all over the place a painter in my mind a tourist in a dream a half forgotten song like these are this is the best imagery in the album and it's it's you feel like this is the first time he's physically touched something and then the word where, where you have this simple touch melody in the background, kiss. When he says kiss, there's a culmination in the instrument. So much is brought in at that word. Kiss, suddenly alive, happiness arrive, hunger like a storm, how do I begin? And it's just, it takes off from there. This is kind of a strange observation for me, but it felt very European. I can see that. That's not positive, that's not negative, that's not anything. That's literally just a straight-up observation about the style in which they chose to pull off the um, crooner atmosphere just, here. Just out of curiosity, where is Daft Punk from? Uh, Europe. Yeah, the same. Yeah. But, it you felt know, you, French. The, the thing agree. is, when you, have, when, you get more, when you get more it techno... Italian. Let me just get this out. In their techno work, it's universal. Yes. I don't feel Europe when I hear the rest. I feel a universal uh, em- embracing of the computer and the synthesizer as a form of music. But for this particular style here, this segment, using Paul Williams the way he sings, it seems like the kind of thing that could have been done in Britain at the time, uh, on British variety shows, the way in which she sings. It's just, it's, it's an observation. Yeah. Takes you out of the out of the country a bit. Let's, let's talk about the musical build-up. Because this song had uh, a great musical build-up. The horn breakdown. I oh, at that really, point, I really like that too. I was, I was, that was irresistible to me. In fact, I, I think this, this really beat the last track in terms of getting me moving because it wasn't just hypnotic. It was, it was straight up. There's so much energy. It, yeah, exactly. But this whole track, this track as a whole, is not a dance track. It wasn't meant to be. It's not. It's, but, but the it's way energy, the, the fact it's that they managed pure. to pull that off seamlessly, I yeah. think, is is a work of art. No, I agree. This this song definitely borders on that whole art concept. For this, sure. this track and, it literally is built on upon movements, movements yeah. that and vaguely s- connect, but so much energy, so much energy builds up so high. <laughs> really, like energy. Up, no, no, that's that's because the next best part after the word kiss, there's there's so much of a rise in the song, and then there's that sharp note silence, touch. And it goes back into a restatement of the of it, the chorus. It's more that hold on, love is the answer, you're home. 
with like the backing piano there that had that very epic you know the way in which you'd expect a song to close and yet it doesn't close off on that there was a yeah. whole nother movement to follow but it, yeah. it was undoubtedly the climax it was a love is the answer you're home. you are not paul williams i can't accept this. i know but <laughs> the the way he ends the song i need something more he re-explains that it's too much this um, journey he's been on has been an overload and it's paralleled in the music. I think it's talking about, well, to be honest, I, I think it's really all about the uh, the placement, the emphasis that we place upon the, you know, the touching of a, an essential moment. Everything really is the build-up to that. And that's why I think we get the unraveling to follow, which is kind of a sad aftermath in that it's dealing with all the complicated stuff that comes after the lustful build-up. But this song personifies it, this. It personifies so it amazingly. It does a which great is, job. It's a, it's a sad notion, and, and the, the style in which he sings... It's a sad notion that I can't believe someone actually was able to put into a song so cohesively. It's a sad notion that I can't believe is on a Daft Punk album. It's kind of weird. Let's yes, face it, I'll, there's not a lot of sad Daft Punk music out there. Not well, really. this album has this a lot of sad This album pop. does. It has so a lot of sad. something going for it in terms of uh, the progression of their discography. And diversity of their work. Yes. Next we get to the single, uh, the first single from the record, which is Get Lucky, also featuring Pharrell Williams, which, I mean, in its simplest form, is fun and sexy. It's just this kind of... It's the epitome of, 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 of a, a single. An album single, essentially. It's a great single. It is. It really is. And the lyrics are simple, but but oh, fun so and enjoyable. very retro. So very enjoyable. much. They very much feel. 70s. I love the chorus. She's up all night to the sun. I'm up all night to get some. She's up all night for good fun. I'm up all night to get lucky. I think I see exactly why you'd like those lyrics. I the love way, that. The way in which it's it it almost feels like it's rapped. No, no. The I way. Mean, the, I love those lyrics because it really does personify lust in a way. Well, I, I'm speaking specifically to the, uh, the tempo, the the rhythm of those lyrics. No, it's less rap. It's more '80s. It really is more '80s. And the syllable notion falling. I, on I would sun, say this is some. No, I know, no, it's, it's, I would, I would. This is more like Jackson than modern day rap than modern day I'm hip-hop. not talking about the music I'm talking no, about the lyrics no I'm talking the about the here. lyrics I'm talking about the lyrics eh alright just pointing out I how love it because I'll agree to disagree because musically yes it's very 80s oh yeah completely I, I, I like it because this it really easily... is, it's a very lust song it, and it could have easily fit done. on Off the Wall by Michael Jackson just the way easily he yes. sings the, 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 the guitar the funky guitar Farrell, Wh- it kind of made it for me because of Farrell Williams, yet again. It, it, again, just going well, back to well, he how also animated ha- he is. And he helped write this song, so clearly they built it, the song to his strengths. Right. And well, it shows. It, it was a nice relief, because, to be honest, there's still some things, like, you know, the beat drags on just a little bit. Um, little things that I find in, in Daft Punk, as well as other techno. And the fact that you have an animated, real singer... Uh, kind of takes away from that. It gives you something else to focus on. So and they once again introduce their standard vocals, synth work of repetitious work. I'm up all night to get lucky. Overlaid on top of his singing, 
great, once again, great harmonies. It's that rising bridge. That's really the climax. The, it's strange that I, uh, the bridge is, is the, the climax. climax. It's not always the case, but uh, here I really feel that that's the most, um, the most infectious part of the song. Yeah, and this was another one of those songs that was purely infectious, fun, danceable song. Had that daft flair and yeah. daft composition. It's got that quintessential but was daft different. vocalizer. Yeah. <laughs> you like the harmonies again. I like, the really harmo- like I like the harmony in which they were joining it with the animated vocalist. It makes for a yeah. very nice effect. It actually works very well. Yes. Which I kind of wish they would collaborate more often. Maybe not on a daft album. Yeah, no. Maybe I would on agree. his own work. Because yeah. they work very well. With other musicians. Yeah. And then to close, you, they still, uh, off just back on the electronic front, uh, just that waning sound at the end. Almost yeah. sounded like a meow. Yeah. Point that out. Did. Yeah. It really did. To me. To my ears. Yeah, of course. Um, and then, of course, speaking of cohesive and working well together, we have Beyond, which is anything but. Yes. Beyond starts with this sweeping, John Williams-esque... Here I come to save the day! ...kind of heroic music. It was Superman. It was Superman. And then from there, just completely jumps into something completely different. It's like a deflating balloon to me. That's how disappointed (laughs) I was at at that point. This is... I mean... You know what? I agree wholeheartedly, except on one aspect in this song. Uh, what? The lyrics... Okay, you know, yes. I the lie. lyrics the lyrics should have been used in something so much better. It was very poetic. It was very cohesive uh, imagery. It was great. It had no business in the song it was in. Beyond was just a mishmash of randomness. Great po- I can't get over that poetry. And I can't get over that, that beautiful intro. intro or beautifully arranged it had everything going for it that could have been a movie in itself but to me the fact that they merged it with the latter is just it's a waste of a soundbite if I had heard that intro with my iPod playing on shuffle I would have never in a million years thought it was Daft Punk yeah no no way um I'm I appreciate that yet again just like uh Giorgio by uh Morador I'm calling it Morador it's easier that way point is in that similar fashion it, it, it's showing off sound bites it's yeah. showing off what you can do i appreciate that it's just it, it's almost a waste if you don't utilize it to its full extent i don't like just hearing random snippets of of things that don't get developed because again it's deflating balloon like i was happy there was a balloon there then psh, oh the kid starts crying that Aww, was me i crying? was that kid you were crying yes What's really? I don't, I don't know. Sh- if it, I don't show emotion. I don't know if I'm using I'm the word irony right, but what's really ironic is that some of the best line work in this song, best lyrics in this song, kind of explains how much this song kind of stinks. That's not ironic. It's a coincidence. But continue. The perfect song is framed with silence. It speaks of places never seen. Your home's a promise long forgotten. It is the birthplace of your dreams. Yeah, this song didn't do that. It didn't do it at all. No, no. it didn't do it at all, which it's... is why these words should have been in something beautiful. Yeah. It's disappointing. Yeah, it just, I don't know, this is... It wasn't a bad track by any means, I thought... It became it... another slow jam, that's the thing. It became what we've seen already three times on this album so far, and... We I... will still see again. Yeah, it's, it seems to be the running theme here, is the slow jam. So, and there's just no connection between, you know, uh... A nice, tender moment between two people, 
and the hero who is the focus of humanity at that like this just those are two very different themes keep them separate or 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 marry them in some way could have been a longer song if you were trying to do something else with it but it really changed on a dime it was yeah. a very fast transition and it made no sense to me. It was barely a transition. It was almost just an edit point. Yeah, yeah. what, was, what was, was sad is the transitions on the rest of the album were so much more cohesive. When yeah. you got this something restated. I'll even say that for, for, for Giorgio, that, that they were blended. They had something holding them together. It was and cohesive. It was, it was honest in the fact that it was a medley. It was it was honestly trying to show you a, a, a variety. variety. Yeah. This track gave me no inclination I, I, no this was just completely random yeah beyond or not. i mean be, the track is called beyond what's beyond be, beyond there's the hero beyond is a slow here. jam there's nothing beyond here even the hero-ness of the intro is tried and true yeah no it's it's excellently arranged but it's true that's something we've seen for you know mm. 50 years then we get to track 10 motherboard so this song me and John... Uh, okay, so well, first glance, weird song. All right. Very weird. John, run down your impression of this arc, because I didn't pick up on it. I, uh, okay, sticking with the mother theme is how I really found uh, an explanation for this song. It feels like the progression of motherhood. The beginning is very much the gestation the conception and gestation of what the ending is. And the their middle of really it turns into a very wet, drippy, unusual, disconcerting sound. And we say wet in the most literal of terms. There's drops falling. It's water. It's a water sound bite. Yes. Yeah. Synthesized and messed with. But it's that is birth. And the ending really is a restatement sort of unified not quite the same level more of a snippet evolving to something different of of the new offspring that's how i really saw this on my first listen through i got that imagery so you have a mother gives birth that's the process the disconcerting beginning is conception the 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 from that disconcerting beginning you get gestation you get birth and then offspring even though to me it, it sounded like water in an open, in an open pond by a waterfall, or right? I, I don't see the connection there. To be honest, it sounded I, it I, sounded very. I'll give you that it had a nature element going for it. Even in the beginning, you have the, the when the flutes come in. You know it, that's almost out of uh, out of Daft Punk's comfort zone. That was a nice contrast there. You get the wind and pipes as opposed to beeps and bloops. So. I'll give you the nature element, but I didn't feel motherhood throughout the first movement. I will say that this track moves through, goes through movements, because it, it, it did flow. I'll give you that. I just, I'm not sure I felt a story there. In fact, I thought I, my initial reaction was confusion, because you the wind and pipe element for a track called Motherboard, which I expected to be the most technical, the most... Um, abstract and, and computerized. This was very abstract. <laughs> I'll give you that. It was, it was quite computerized. Yeah. You just said if, what it was, but it was it was digitized real life almost to a point. Alright, no, I'll buy that. 
And it's, you know what, I, I, for me, it's hard for me to divorce that first impression from this song. It's I got, a theme. It's, I got, a, it's like that. It's it was, a theme that's there, uh, but I don't think it's as obvious to anyone else as it is to John. Like it's, it's if, so, if you're if you're right, and we find that out someday, I'll owe you a coke. Okay. Okay. Good enough. All right. And this is I can understand where you're coming from because right. looking at it sectionally, there's some real deviances there. Sectionally, to me, but it, I see it, 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 it I is see sporadically links. pretty, and it goes back to the same problem the previous track. It feels like there it's a waste of certain sound bites. Um, when you consider the, the the full product. I don't know. And then going from here, we get to, to me, the worst track on the record. The, the track itself isn't bad to me, but it's definitely the low point for me. Fragments of Time featuring I'm, Todd Edwards. I'm so over the slow jam at this point. That yeah. This became a, a almost... You know what? I'll just say it. It's a throwaway song. Yeah, it's we're, basic we're and point. repetitive. If... I've heard this theme work done multiple times. The lyrics are just nonsensical. I'm done. I mean, it did have one thing going for it. it, it it's the first time I felt like a there was sort of a percussive nature in, in, in the vocals. That was kind of interesting to me. It had this, like, music silence, music silence, music silence. It was punctuated. Yeah, it, that, that's the best way to put it. It was punctuated throughout, um, it's throughout the verses. It's fragments of time. It was appropriate. Yeah. I'll I'll give him that. Um, it did come across as the that punctuations sort of made it very fragmented. The, the lyrics were very punctuated as well. Yeah, it was interesting, kind of like popping off walls, sort of. But conceptually, it was it was a good idea. I don't think it was executed properly. Yes, because I think it was constricted by the chords. Straight, like I think that the chords were indicative of your typical slow jam, which we've had several times, and they don't really go anywhere. They, it's a nice bass line, but it's just static. It, it, that's the kind of thing that holds you back. We're so channeling the same idea on this song right now. I agree but completely. It, that's perfect summation. I, I yeah. just think the biggest problem with this song also is that it wasn't the first second. It was the third slow jam, third and a half. Fourth, yeah. maybe? And within the track itself, it, it, it doesn't offer you anything new, really. It kind yeah. of restarts itself. It, and it feels very much like... Game of Game of Love and, and a bunch of other tracks in the record. It doesn't divorce itself enough from the other tracks. Yeah, to be those songs unique. were those songs were good in the beginning because they were something a little bit deviant. But it's the techno style of slow jam. The the deviance is simply by offering you know that nice I mean, steady beat. You don't have the the the. It was the deviant smoothness from death. Of a, it was deviant from death. Yes, yes, yes. You don't have the smoothness of a of a slow jam necessarily, but you do have the uh, crooning tone. And, 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 and it goes further. They even go further to doing it right, which felt like the most daft punk of songs on this album. Doing it right was featuring Panda Bear, who I believe is another techno artist. Um, it was. It felt like old school daft punk. It felt like. It sounded very similar a, to Around the World. It was Not classic daft punk for better or worse. Worse, yeah. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Because I like I like this track, but I just felt like yeah, it didn't evolve. The groove was a little safe to me. Yeah. It was the type that would be acceptable in the '90s when they were really in their stride, I suppose. It got fun towards the end, but it was too little, too late. Yeah, yeah. And it was this could have been thrown a little bit earlier to keep us interested in their music, though. It's really kind of a unusual track that doesn't fit in their their theme they've built here. The core, my main problem is the core of the track was just too thin. 
it didn't yeah. offer me enough. It was very, very thin. When you think it was just really the the beat, the vocals, and I think there was one other instrument. I forget what it was, but it was, it, it, it on the whole, kind of a quiet song, kind of something completely for passive listening. Yeah, uh, I might disagree that it's passive, but it's definitely not. I don't know. A lot of the these no, the slow jams are for passive listening. When you really think of a lot of techno in general is for passive listening. I don't think. Yeah, but I felt this, as far as techno goes, was a much more active album than other techno albums. I'll give you that. But this was not out of that norm, really. No, no, yeah. And then we get to the final track, Contact. So, if this track was only the first half of the track, I actually probably would have liked it a lot more. The problem is it ran too long. It was... The beginning felt like it was building to a solid closing track, but then the... The ending was just like nails on a chalkboard. Sound effects that repeated and repeated. If that sound effect had only been for 30 seconds, and it was feel, it gave that liftoff feeling. Yeah. Like a rocket ship. But the problem was, it was for like a minute and a half instead of 30 seconds, and it got grating and annoying. What's, 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 what's that space song? Can you hear me, Major Tom? Oh. Can you? Yeah. What's the name of that song? By, uh... David Bowie. David Bowie. Um, the Schweppes commercial. Ground control to Major Tom. Yeah, so that song has Tom. that has that build up, uh, 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 rocket ship part, that was like an eighth of the first section of the rocket ship in yeah. this song. Yeah, well, that he, was he, perfect length. He was playing around with the soundbite because of what he wanted to achieve, but he's also a pop artist, David Bowie, so he knows how to not keep it moving. Put nails on a chalkboard, exactly. Got to keep it moving. So. The way I figure it, considering that a lot of these tracks were kind of straightforward dance songs, yet some of them offered more touches is the exception to the rule, and by right. uh, some extent also Giorgio, uh, this last track just didn't really fit. This was, this felt like they were going for some kind of grander art piece, which pertained to a space-oriented venture that I didn't see anywhere on this album at all. No. I mean, just because you're talking about the 70s, okay, yeah, the space agency was in its heyday, so to speak, but there's really no connection from disco That's a very to thin space. Connection, yeah. yeah, it's 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 loose to me. Um, I I don't see connection to random access memories. I don't see the connection to, I mean, really just computerization, and then you all of a sudden throw in space. It was out of place. And I'm gonna say one more thing. It sounded like a uh, I'm not gonna say a ripoff, but it sounded like it was borrowing from uh, Vangelis's. Albedo 0.39. Right. And the but last like track that, on it specifically. But I feel like this was that was probably done intentionally to a point as I I'm going to say that. Yes, but it must have been an homage yeah. because techno Pete they talk. <laughs> they must talk. <laughs> um and they're both from Europe, so or, yes, they're both groups are from Europe. Really. Yes, that's true. So, they're working in practically the same era. So, yeah, I don't think that's too far-fetched to say that it is an homage. It just it was a bit of a poor homage to me, because when Vangelis decided to do a space-oriented album, he made an album that was not supposed to be anything but. It was, it literally was, space in a nutshell, or everything that we would like space to be. It was a, it was a, it was a very detailed art piece. I don't, as, as a Touch. constrained track, though, I didn't see that here. Yeah, Touch as an art piece worked quite well. Contact, on the other hand, did not. Again, I think if it was like a minute and a half to two minutes shorter and 
they cut down that sound effect. Like, that whole ending part with the sound effect, like the rocket ship taking off, if it had only been for 30 seconds, and then they went into a more culminating final piece, it would have been a very solid closing track. But it was be- the whole taking off thing, and yeah. during which you have this thrashing. The thrashing is really what... And uh, everything it's was grating. just peaked. Peaked, yeah. you know... I happened to be listening to this on Flack File, so yeah, I heard everything, and yeah. everything was even worse. And to have it compressed in MP3 must be even worse than that, so I don't know. It just it broke the experimental uh, threshold for me. It kind of killed the album mark for me because it didn't just it left me hanging, unsatisfied yeah. at the end. I mean, and that that's not going to kill the album, but it's definitely a, a, a strong negative point. This might be the only song on the record I say I actively don't really like because the second half kind of ruins the first half the second half of the album kind of ruins the first half of the album i'm gonna say that in a grander scale here in general this is a downhill album for me uh, i wouldn't go that far yeah i, I would not go that far i disagree too there is some solidity on the tail end but 75 percent of the way but even when i mean even when they're borrowing from the same motives they're not offering anything else it's it's dull at that point Dull is still not good. I don't know. I liked I liked the album up to track eight and being at a thirteen track album, it's a little more than half yeah. for me. Uh, my my turn is about a touch. I did enjoy Get Lucky in a Pinch, but um, yeah. Get Lucky also kind of you know it, it was just a step above Lose Yourself to Dance. It's I don't know same vibe really, not taking in bold new directions. It it's just strange because consider. This album as a whole was supposed to be, in some ways, a, I'm going to say medley again, a medley of aspects. Aspects of techno music through the ages, or of Giorgio's work through the ages. Perhaps that's it. Perhaps it's just the variety of things that he himself has done. Not really techno as a whole. Could be. But. I mean, there's not a clear theme here other than that kind of 70s 80s thing that doesn't last very long and then kind of comes back and forth I mean the biggest problem with, with Contact for me is it kind of kills that that 70s 80s feel because Contact doesn't really have that and it's kind of just a disjointed track well the reason I say downhill is this the album starts off nostalgic it moves toward catchy then it goes toward inventive then it goes toward redundant, and then it goes toward annoying. That, to me, is downhill. Well, it's only downhill for, like, three and a half songs. Well, after the inventiveness is downhill. Redundant to annoying is the part. So I'm Two-fifths, two, two right? Do you want the math? Two-fifths well, of this album. Two-fifths. <laughs> We're going to be very sp- specific. Uh, I guess, wrap-up? Yeah, I mean, there's not much else to say about Contact other than it it had potential to be better and kind of crapped the bed, essentially. It's still, still a good album. That's the whole thing. It's still yeah, good. of course. This album is walking the line between catchy and art. Yes. Which is a hard line to walk. Yeah, because it, felt, it feels a little indec- indecisive. I mean, it's definitely above average without a doubt, but there are moments of averageness within it, for sure. Thing is, techno is a very large genre. Yeah. I remember there was a, 
I don't know if they're still around. I don't know if they used to be. Uh, down in the Bowery, if you walk around, there's a ton of uh, shops that specialize purely in techno that's sold on vinyl. You can go in and you can put a vinyl on a turntable and put it up to headphones and, and listen to it. It's all the new stuff that's been done. Eh, some of it probably dates back like maybe 20 years, but um, there's a ton of it out there. A lot of it can be very repetitive. Some of it is very expansive art forms. I think that Daft Punk, the reason they got so popular is because they can do the concise catchiness that is just so conducive to a dance floor. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I mean, they're the head honchos right now. Well, all of their biggest singles were huge dance hits. Right. Huge, huge dance hits. And I mean, we're remixing one more further time, dance hits. One more time yeah. around the world. I mean... Harder, better, better faster, stronger, stronger, which these is are my all favorite. These are strong, songs that were huge, huge, strong dance songs. Whereas their Tron went more towards the experimental. The Tron record was just very much a great score for that movie and had themes that repeated and it was a very solid soundtrack. But it was in a different electronic direction which was really good and I expected more of after and we didn't really get that on this record. Yeah, which is a shame. It's a shame. I was really hoping for something more along the lines of Tron. Yeah. But keeping our hopes separate... uh... But you also can't use Tron to ignore their history. And their history, on a majority, leans more to what this was than what Tron was. It leads toward a slow. I mean, this is this is very nostalgic as a whole. Yeah. To be, it leads toward a more modern techno, is what their history. Yeah. Um, but th- saying, this is an exploration of their roots. Yeah. It just so happens that in many cases they've repeated themselves. Yeah. I think that's the real big detractor here. Um, <laughs> it, it's like we just caught up to 1979 within the uh, within the span of an album we just caught up to the point in which okay yeah i could see why disco was over yeah which is kind of a shame because i'm i'm a fan of funk i think that funk itself is a more is a deeper exploration to uh the types of soloing that you can get from here this is more just snippets of that the snippets that we see are incredible they really are awesome solos most of which is uh embedded in giorgio by morador which i do think uh is a masterpiece along along with touch yeah. Um, but the rest of it are somewhat take it or leave it, probably could get it from other places kind of tracks. Okay. So I'm going to shoot it out first. I think I'm going to go for decimals here. I'm going to give this a 4.1. Oh, higher a 4. than point, I expected. A 4.1 because it has two distinct masterpieces on it. Okay. That's, that's, it's a fairly average album with glimpses of, um, of, uh, of brilliance. Okay. Uh, for me, I mean, as far as Daft Punk record goes, I mean, I, based on what I was expecting, again, I think I was unfairly expecting another Tron soundtrack, and clearly we weren't going to get that Tron has a specific aesthetic. Oh, that's the thing. Then you're tied to the story of Tron. It right. may not have even functioned in the way that you'd expect. Right, And the, but that was more the, that was the last thing I had heard from them, so that's what I was expecting. Yeah. But then going back and listening to One More Time, One More Time besides having a little more electronic in it, is very indicative of 70s and 80s as well. Mm. And the video shows that, because the music video to One More Time was an animated music video that was very much in the style of 80s Japanese animation. You know, the round faces, the, the, the blue-skinned people, you know, the, the crazy Jetsons-esque outfits, you right. know. It was very 80s, 70s, 80s. I, I mean, as far as an album goes, I think it works as a unit. 
with some minor hiccups here and there. Um, there are things that are more disappointing than others, fragments of time, contact. The, on the second listen, I didn't like. On the first listen, I thought it was okay, but on a second listen, I didn't like contact at all. If we clipped this album at 12 and had 12 as like an old school homage outro, honestly, I think that would have worked better. Which actually would have been the most advanced song historically and really put the period on their evolutionary experience they're doing here. It just might have lessened the blow of the, the downturn at the end. Um, because I did really like doing it right even if it was less complicated than their previous stuff, I still felt it would have been a nice exclamation, uh, a period on the record instead of contact, which just kind of doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I don't care if they're not complicated and very pop and very um, basic. Get Lucky and Lose Yourself are, anything I, are everything I could want from a dance song. Because... They're just catchy and infectious enough that you don't think about the simplicities. And Pharrell is such a great singer, and his falsettos draw you in. The falsettos in Getting Lucky and Lose Yourself draw you in so much to those songs. So, for me, I w- I'm going to give it a, st- a little bit of a step up above Steve's, because I don't think it's a 4, but it's definitely not a 4.5. I think it's kind of right in the middle for me. It's a 4.25. It's a, it's a it's a great album, but it's not a perfect album. I love that you guys are joining in the decimals. Uh, we Sorry, already decimal said fun. we said over four. We were going to be doing decimal yeah. work. Okay, I didn't. I didn't hear Matt say that, but you said that. You know, I'd kind of fallen into it. It's Matt, mostly Matt, Matt because Matt is the last card over. <laughs> it's mostly because I don't have a choice with. We've gotten so much more intricate and detailed in our reviews. It's That's hard a, to avoid it's, that. It's a matter, yeah. But it's when you look back at the stuff that we've reviewed, and you look at more and more music compacted on, you start to get a little bit picky. Like, how could I justify putting that above this but below this? And you right. have so much to draw from. It's inevitable. So, but but yeah, I give it a four point two five. I like the album. Definitely gonna listen to it a lot more. Um, but I just, I I expected more from Daft Punk. Because as far as soundtracks goes, like the Tron, Tron Legacy soundtrack is definitely 4.5 to somewhere between a 4.5 and a 5 because it just it tells that story so well and it's so cohesive to Tron. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, as a Daft Punk record, a legit da- Daft Punk record, it, I was just a little disappointed I expected more from them. You know what it really is? I think that outside of Giorgio and Touch, um, I think that despite the technicality that could be present in other... Uh, in other tracks here, I think it lacked a little bit of personality for me. Yeah. Whereas their previous albums and even their soundtrack and remix albums are filled with personality. Yeah, it's the distinctive tone that got them where they were. Well, damn, it's hard for me to follow you too. <laughs> There's so, so much. Hey, sometimes, sometimes we like going last. Sometimes yeah. we don't. Yeah, some. Yeah, it well, depends. When, honestly, nice. when it's my pick, I love going last because. Yeah, I know you ran. You word. ran. I always on, ran. On a heist for ages. Not really that long. Oh, it was. It was. It was a. It was concise but ranty. Uh, you you know what? Out. You guys really put it the proper way. The proper. unique. That word. Well, no. the The best way I could put more words out of my mouth, um, <laughs> which is proper, apparently. If John says it, it must be proper. No, no, it's a proper way of speaking. Um, shut up! I'm so angry at you. I'm right quiet. Now. <laughs> I can hear your thoughts. Uh, judge, the judge, experimental judge. is fun. It's intricate. Touch is 
the most unique thing I think they've ever done. I'll put that out there. It's so that Daft Punk nice. has ever done for sure. Yes. yes. And coupled with Motherboard with Giorgio, I just love the direction those songs took. And each of them is a very different direction. And it's got very addictive songs around it. But it's not really cohesive. It loses a little points right there. I don't dislike any of the songs aside from Contact, like you guys. Uh, four and a quarter. 4.25. It's, I, I wish I could take it to the next level, but they didn't do it. So, so in, in wrapping up, by no means is this a bad record or a bad Def Punk record. It's definitely... By that it's standards, it's just not there, but it's so far ahead of somebody if else. You well, look, let's go back to your rule, Matt. If you like 70s music, if you were into the disco, this may be the album for you. You should you buy like, it. If you like Daft, you should look at this. If you like techno and want to expand your horizons, look at this. Hmm. I'd say it could do both at once, though. It could it could be a step back for them as well as looking forward because there's that that mix here. As as an overall, for me, I'd say it's definitely a buy. For for the general public, it's definitely worth buying on this on the rating scale of ignore it, listen to it, buy it. It's still definitely a buy. It's above a four. It's worth checking out. Definitely don't ignore it. Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Buy this record. Support Def Punk. It's it's they're they're a great band and and while some of it falls short overall. It's still a great record and worth listening to. Yeah, I'd say even if you hate techno in all forms, I'd still say at least check it out because yeah. there's distinct uh, locations where there's just it's full of uh, instruments. It's what's, acoustic. What's fascinating, and I looked this up, Metacritic found it to have an 87 out of 100. This is one of the highest rated albums we've done. And that I have Metacritic. to say is a little bit of, of that's over the mark. But I also we also have found that we don't really agree with Metacritic yeah, I know. in most places. Oh, we don't have to agree. Because with um what was it? One Republic got a really high rating or higher than we did. Actually, it. an 87 is about a four and a quarter for us. Um yeah. Double it and add a z- and move the decimal place over once. Four. Me and Mac essentially gave it eighty fives. All right, all right. So we, we That's agree. Fair. This is a this is a new one. We agree with, with Metacritic. Metacritic. Yeah, it doesn't uh, really it's happen. It's creepy. Um, wow. It looks so different though when it's out of a hundred. Yeah, yeah, I know. It does. It does. Visually. It does. And like eighty seven. Wow. Keeping the theme of what we've been talking about this entire uh, review, musical evolution, and we're. I, me personally and the three of us together, where we see music evolving into. Uh, what's going to be a dead end? What's going to be the future? And, like, what's the future? I mean, yeah, exactly. That's, that nice, that's a nice theme to follow considering the future G- of music. Giorgio's uh, message to us. He was looking toward the future in the 70s. Rich, um, so oh. it's kind of nice to echo that today. I don't know. I really thought the future of music was going to be a direction that Originally, like oh, that's let's a better say, one. what did we think was? Well, yeah. Idea? So, like in the '90s, I mean, which is when I kind of really started coming to my own, listening to music, finding music on my own. I thought the future of music was really going to be along the lines of Red Hot Chili Peppers, and let me explain why. Red Hot Chili Peppers hmm. was a band that took hip hop, funk, rock, maybe even a little bit of blues, definitely some pop, and kind of meshed it all together. And reggae as well, and reggae. reggae. They, Some of their songs have jazz. They were a genre mashup, especially Californication. Californication, as far as records go, 
was one of the, you know, especially when you go from Blood, Sex, Sugar, Magic to Californication. I think that was the problem. No, I think Mother's Milk was out. Anyway, the problem is when you go through those albums, <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers had this evolution of mashing things together, and I really thought that's the direction all music and, was headed. And what's more important is that even after they do that, they managed to create a, a personality that was so distinct. When yeah. you hear his voice, when you hear Anthony Flea, Kiedis, when you yeah. hear Flea's, Flea's bass style, yeah. oh, it's Flea. just, you, you'd you have to be under a rock to, to not know, not it's, know them. it's them. It's, it's, they, they are, they're distinctive. That's I about mean, it. It's not just about genre mashing that makes you distinctive. It's about finding... It's about playing with genres, yes, but finding something that's just you, that is identifiable right. in a crowd. But it's just, they're one of those bands that I would listen to a record and be listening to many genres within it. And so I really thought that was the direction. Clearly now, at the point we're at now, Chili Pepper's last couple of records, still good, some even great, but not as genre mashup-y as they used to be. They defined their sound. Yeah, and they kind of just stuck... More so with the funky rock kind of sound. Which a lot is of the great. Others, and I've still yeah. never really, I've never not liked anything no, that of course. they've done. But it's yeah. just, it's not you that future have direction. It's not that future direction I thought. That's true. They're more, they're more of an offshoot now, and yeah. uh, who knows, they could be a dead end. Which is okay, just because, uh, just because they're dead ends doesn't make it bad music by any margin. No, it, just may just, it may just be that because they're so distinctive, no one really knows how to follow them. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the problem with these genre mashups, is that... Once you fuse things together, they become this this entity that is so indefinable. How can you say that? Uh, that how can that trickle down into? Ooh, say, it's a harder ooh, thing to do. Ooh ooh, dead genres. Ooh, rap rock, rap rock. Huh? No, no. <laughs> already refuting. Flat Let out. Let me just, finish. He it. just said no. Rap rock, as its purest limp biscuit form, is dead. No. It's evolved into other things. How about no. its purest Beastie Boys? I, I, I completely refute that. We reviewed a rap rock band. Flowbots? Yes. Yeah. Uh. Exactly. That right there. And people are following them. Some, okay, some, I'll refute Some might I'll even call them like rap metal. symphonic rock, uh, rap, though. Limp Bizkit was more considered rap metal. That's died out. Punk's dead. And since we just mentioned Farrell Williams today, N.E.R.D. is kind of rap rock. Yeah. Very I, much so. I was incorrect. Rap metal, I meant. In More fact, along the lines of Limp Bizkit and Kid Rock. N.E.R.D. Kid Rock's country now. It's just a fun fact. N.E.R.D. started off... for a while. Hold on. N.E.R.D. started off as a, a rap trio. Oh, and they were then a hip-hop group. they yeah. learned their own instruments on yeah. the fly. Yeah. Like, at the time that Fly or Die, their second album came out... Uh, I think it was Farrell or one of them had only been playing guitar for a year. Yeah. One year. And considering some of the work on that album, it just goes to show you don't necessarily have to have virtuosity to have creativity. Oh, I saw them live. They were incredible live. They oh, were a I'm, really great I'm, band. I'm jealous. They opened for... Who the hell did they open for? I feel like they opened for... Well, might have been the Family Values Tour years and years ago. Uh, they were playing with like Limp Bizkit and Lincoln Park. And since they were that kind of fusion as well, they kind of fit with that late 90s, early 2000s sound. It's definitely a surefire way to uh, increase your fan base, just pulling from two genres at once. It's, yeah. it's smart marketing-wise, of course. Um, but on the whole, you still have to be distinctive. You know, and I think NERD had it. Uh, but let's go back to the future. I feel like... What's the future now? Right now, it is. it has been for... Four or five years, electronica, and its many forms. Um, I don't know. Electronica we were talking... hasn't really. 
as much it's it's not a dead end for sure but it's kind of like the distant cousin like they're they're having a family over there but it's you, not you kind of forgot mainst- about them the future of music <laughs> you don't really get together for reunions anymore you have to think of think the future of music really becomes very mainstream very quickly and electronic is not really mainstream that is not true once again, I'm if you're just gonna talk about the synth being present on pop, that's not. That it's not no, no, I'm not. I'm talking electronica is becoming a bigger component in music. Throw me an example. Uh, we did corn. That's a prime example. Corn's not mainstream anymore. Corn hasn't been mainstream in a All few right, years. All right, no, hold on, hold on. I will accept one thing there. Dubstep um. has had its little following, which is really. It, it's techno for dummies. I'm gonna put it out there and say that. D- Not that's everybody, not... but the standard fare, yes. Yeah. yeah. But yes, some that, of them that is the dumbed down Dead Mouse is quite interesting. Dead Mouse has done quite a lot, yeah. He's he's quality. When they discovered that a steady, unchanging, unwavering fist pump is exactly what you need to get a crowd moving in any uh in any club or, or sweet sixteen, you know, really spanning uh Anywhere, any corner of America. That's why dubstep got its following, in my opinion. I'm not going to so go as far to say it's the future, but it is pretty mainstream. And, um, and it, it's being used in many locations. I uh, still can't call it Especially, especially uh, the electronic music in the movie industry. That's a huge component now. Anything that has space is going to have electronic music not in every instance sometimes space is accompanied by a lot of orchestral music sometimes very uh sweet ambient music there's a reason not strong legacy used daft to write the script because that is the perfect marriage tron is not in space though tron is in a computer mainframe science it makes sense why they should use final frontier new frontier space similarities can be drawn but science fiction, all right. Yes, there's a lot of action. A huge amount. There's also a lot of symphonic, uh, uh, electronic uh, mashups. That's becoming kind of common. I thought you were going to say symphonic, harmonic, electronics. Uh, uh. <laughs> also, I we we talked about this, and it's a little bit of a side note. Uh, Steve and I were trying to hash this out because I had the ingenious idea that uh, electronica was paralleling. The Baroque romance, uh, romantic, er- um, the Baroque classical classical romance era of music pre nine uh, yeah yeah nineteen hundred pre twentieth century, and I was saying I made an audacious claim that techno music is the new classical, and it's not true. The classical music has a very tried formula for a lot of its styles. I can't say I can't say tried because again, a lot of it like yes, there are some styles in classical such as the sonata form, the rondo form, you mentioned a couple, the symphonic form, all the these rhapsody form. all these do have, but they have become so flexible, especially in the late 19th century and 20th century that I I feel like the sky is the limit as but far I'm, as to what you can do with those styles and you can just make up a new style nowadays in contemporary classical. And, but the, the one reason I brought that up was I, f- I felt like techno was classical music. And I was wrong. I was way off. Because I really looked into it, and I really am off on that concept. Except for one claim. One moment, Matt. I know you want to talk. It's relevant to classical. That's why. 
I feel like electronic music is going undergoing that gestation fee, uh, part of its life cycle and eventually becoming the romantic. Because you explained it, Baroque was... It'll be a while. Baroque, not the way our society moves. Baroque is the uh. experimental phase. Classical was the wallflower, uh, the wallpaper phase. And romantic was the truly inventive phase. So you go from gaudy to, uh, to kind of background, to truly emotional, um, you know, from your heart. And I the feel kind like, of stuff that can make you cry at night. I feel like we're in that Baroque classical crossover right now in electronic music. What so now, they... all right, I'm going to buy the All right, you can talk in just one second. I just want to make one comment here. In response to that, the only thing I would say is that you're going to run into some problems, I think. If, you're, if you're, your cycle here is true, you get into the Romantic era, I think there's going to be a little bit of trouble connecting that emotional element of... Uh, with a computer because to be honest we still tend to go back to you know the piano the the one guy in the coffee shop with his acoustic guitar these seems to be the things that we cry over is the raw there's a sound in your room it's coming from a box made of wood and strings or wind and pipes things of the earth these seem to be the things that we're tied to just as organisms creatures of the earth I feel that once you uh, become kind of robotic, you might take away that. So, uh, if you're correct, I'm not sure how it's going to make the final leap from classical into romantic. You can talk now, Matt. <laughs> but, okay, first on that point, though, I mean, and I hate to keep going back to it, but it's a good example of how robotic can kind of be diverse. The Tron Legacy soundtrack, there's clear emotionality in those songs, and many of them are completely robotic. Um... They did a lot of symphonic work there. And oh, some of the true. more emotional scenes were the symphonic. Yeah. The thing is, they're arrangers, too. They're not just uh, they're not just sitting behind a Moog in every... Uh, well, a Moog, okay. It's a little late for them to be sitting behind a Moog. But they're not sitting behind a, a, a synth in every single but scene so there. Then wouldn't, they were wouldn't it be arranging. understandable, though, that these electronic songs, as they evolve, will, will blend with other genres to take that next step but then they'd just be emulating and they can do this and i've actually seen some we're at the stage now where you can almost mimic an entire orchestra on a keyboard on a on a, on a keyboard on a synth yeah. uh there's programs out there that can do this at some point you know considering any anybody's notation program like sibelius when you play it back yeah right now it still sounds a little bit midi kind of computerized when you're trying to listen back to the music that you composed if you're arranging like a string section or a, or a brass section but we're already at the point where the higher end of of those softwares can really there's just look on YouTube search this stuff i mean there's amazing examples about there you could you would you'd be shocked to know that it was not a philharmonic orchestra so i take your point there but isn't that in itself just seeking the instruments that we've grown to know and love Depends on how you mix it and, and what you layer it with. You got to remember one aspect of our society: the scientific, the computerized, the technology is becoming more organic in style and nature. And that's true. We consider what we're trying to do with AI is basically give them emotion. But well, that that's a whole different thing. But I'm talking about just the extensions. <laughs> the extensions we're building into ourselves are becoming more organic. L think of Google Glass. 
and how it's no longer this outside computer screen. It's something beaming directly into your eye. It's now becoming headset and with HUDs and things like that. Like we're bringing technology closer to our actual being. You don't think we can start emulating that in technologically driven music? I, I certainly do. And I had a feeling we were going to go down this route because we may just as well do that. But why is it that we keep going back to the same instruments in that case? Why is it that we... When's the last time a new instrument was invented? <laughs> well, there's probably we all, lots of this one before. kooky instruments being invented but all I the mean, time. A mainstream but a mainstream instrument. A mainstream instrument? No, the, the, the synth is really the, yeah. the big one. And it's not really an instrument as much as it's a computer that can mimic whatever you tell it to mimic. Yeah. So Prior this, to that, the or- the, I, I really the standard think... or- orchestra is, is basically in the same form as it was in the latter half of the 19th century. John made a point when I was talking about the evolution of music before, I don't even remember if it was on the air or not at this point, that when rock and roll came about, the defining characteristic was that they plugged it in and by therefore almost making it a different instrument or a parallel of the same instrument. Oh. I think the future of music is going to ride on if we come up with New instruments and new instrumentation. Well, see, I'm glad you brought that up. Because, break it down. Acoustic instruments are just the manipulation of what's around you. Yeah. You have your string section. So, a, a thing that vibrates. Yeah. And, and finding out what timbre it has. A brass section, which is all wind and pipes. Yeah. Uh, woodwinds, all wind and pipes, usually with a vibrating reed. Um... Drums, percussion, percussion section, percussion, which is the cymbal and the drum, and then finally, the human voice. Yeah, and anything all these, you can do with vocal cords. The those specific instruments are limited. Those are the sections, and but, and then, I don't the, think, but then the next step can, for all can of those you make is, another section. But I'm the, not sure. And but the next step of those instruments were making a lot of those instruments electronic, taking acoustic car, guitars and giving one, you one giving my, it effect. One yes. of my favorite instruments hands down is the electronic violin because it has an incredible timbre to it that is really quite unique it's um well the thing about the electronic violin is it's just it's so much more conducive to an arena you could never use a solo violin in an arena no one would hear it you're not going to get the same power the same oomph you have to tap it in all it really is it's just a microphone right up there against the string it's you know but still, it's with amplified. that said, we took all of those earthy instruments and modernized them by making a lot of them. We electric. lit them on electricity. You know. Yes. Yeah. That's uh. Wow. <laughs> but, <laughs> all right. I'll give you points for that. We lit them up on but, electricity. But so by that logic, wouldn't the next step past that is doing yet something else to further evolve those instruments? I don't know what that step would be, but it seems like logically. Going from A to B, C will be whatever we can do to modify those instruments further. And and with a computer I'm just racking my brain to see how, what more you can do with, you know... A synthesizer running can those create... That's, this is the big thing. A synthesizer can create unique sound wavelengths. Unique timbre. Oh, there's a theory out there. You can, you, you can literally create anything. Any, the sky is the limit with the synth. Uh, the fact that we kind of go back to the beeps and bloops of, of techno is probably just um, a, the simplification of the instrument but, when it was first invented, which we got attached to immediately. But the think about this. Yeah. Think about this, though. Yes, the 8-bit sound, which has actually gotten big again recently. Yeah. The, the, think about the idea, okay, so we ran instruments through 
you know, speakers and through electricity. What if the next step is running instruments, horns, you know, the woodwinds, the brass, through a computer? And manipulating it that way. Running it through a computer that, um, well, basically, you know, good, a good way to... That's kind of what we do with the guitar. Yeah. In some ways. Whenever you sit and see a guy with a set of pedals right there, one includes a distortion, one includes gain, one includes all these other things. Right. He basically is running his guitar through at a computer. Uh, that kind of is what metal was based on. Right. Uh, so imagine that so, they start doing it with other instruments as well. Like, I feel like that might be the next direction. They may very well. I... I I mean, imagine kind of want to do a little bit of investigative reporting now to see well, what else is out that there. Now, there's a lot of replication, especially in early techno, of instruments. You've heard flutes synthesized. You've heard, uh, 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 you have heard the horns and trumpets and things like that on this album synthesized. But yeah. I'm not. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm literally talking about finding a way to build uh, finger quotes better horn where you. You build an electronic horn that runs through a computer, and the computer manipulates the sound of the horn. Not synthesizing it, but literally manipulating its sound. It's different. It's a different idea. Why, Matt? I like your ideas, and I wish to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> I'm just saying, it, it seems like the logical progression for the future music. The I future feel like that's mu- already been done. Because I've seen... I've, the reason I'm um, pointing that out is I've seen... And not seen. I've heard a lot of techno renditions which is of uh, classical music, where they take the original classical music and resynthesize it. Yeah, yeah, which is I'm, what I'm, you're I'm describing. I'm halfsies here. Like, I, I, I think you make a, a really good point, Matt, and I'm sure it hasn't been looked into in every capacity, but I bet it hasn't been looked into in some. I just, uh, I don't think the future... But I can't name any examples off the top of my head, so for the moment, you're safe. I think that the future of music is not in a specific genre or mashup of genres. I feel like the future of music is not a genre that lives or a genre that dies. It's all on the base level of each instrument or new instruments. I think that's where the future of music is. Let me get really abstract. Actually, this is not abstract at all. This is the literal uh, limits to what we have is the planet Earth. Acoustically. Acoustically speaking. Like, for instance, the fact that your own voice would sound very different on Mars. You know, notwithstanding the fact that you couldn't breathe. Right. Point is, your voice and any instrument that you played on Mars probably would have a bizarre effect. Yeah. Which is why uh, there's any number of science fiction stories that are um, speculating on what alien music could possibly sound like based on the atmospheric construct of their planet. Right. Running a guitar through xenon glass as opposed to our normal... Exactly. Hydrogen, so, oxygen... Maybe the future of music relies uh, on chemists. Let that stew. I mean, that's, that's a whole separate element, and that's kind of weird, and you're kind of weird for thinking that up, and I appreciate your weirdness for that one. Well, that's, <laughs> it brings you back to the idea of, like, the I cantina mean, band in Star Wars. Technically, it, it shouldn't have sounded anything like it sounded. Actually, no, probably. If, well, if I remember the description, they were also... Now we get really nerdy. They here. were uh, uh, playing on harmonies that you couldn't actually hear as a human being. I remember from the book. It's been uh, a while. The, 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 there was frequencies man can't hear. Well, whatever I heard was good. There's probably going to be other elements as well included in music. Like, ex- musical experiences are probably going to start including other senses as well. And not just, like, a movie... Well, music, ooh, but you just tackled a whole other element. Synesthesia. 
the I idea too. that Scriabin and a lot of other people around the turn of the century was trying to experiment with is is uh, the effects that light can have on you at the yeah. same time as the uh, as this chord being played. Yeah. Um, but I I'm not sure if that would work on everyone. Some people are synesthetic. They 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 when they hear a certain key, they do see red. You know, yeah. but I'm, and supposedly Scrabin was uh, synesthetic, but I think that pertains to what you're talking about, John. That could be where I got the motherboard explanation. Who knows? Yeah, it maybe was operating on you in a whole other level. I d- I just think that with trying to figure out where music's going, I mean, I can't imagine that people in like right before right before Elvis came out that anyone saw it going in that direction that's it's just, that's why that's one of the most fascinating you know who did, you know who did? Who? Elvis's agent <laughs> no I'm not making a joke that here sounds like, like a somebody joke. people do see these things going in a direction which is why they actually this is why people signed the Beatles right but like, my, my this point is, why is but my Johnny point Cash is was big but that's different that's not what I'm saying because they didn't see it until they heard it once they heard this new thing they went oh this is the new thing someone had to write it but it didn't but my point is is that they that that manager didn't predict it he just capitalized on what existed well then the person who saw it it was Johnny Cash was Elvis Presley yes so in other words somebody saw it and they created it correct so what you're saying is somebody did see it Right, but not... Which is not the point you made. No, the point I'm making is it's point, within the brain of the artist. <laughs> I win. Not within the culture. Nothing in the culture that came before it sounded like what Elvis sounded like. I believe people could have predicted dubstep to some degree. I believe but they didn't. People, in the early half of the 20th century, no, that's too far. Yeah. That's too I far believe 15 me. years ago, most people could have predicted that the... I'm not even sure. Is that, the way I'm it's not going. even sure that Bach could have gone got on board with the same stuff that Chopin was writing necessarily. I mean, right now we 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 just lump that ah, it's classical. But seriously, if you look at the kind of music that they were that doing, that brings me back to a point I want to make before. What did they call classical in the time of? Um, I just went through this. We literally just went through this with John. You you look you're looking at various stages here from like ancient music which yeah. is literally everything before you could actually write it on a paper and then the second we were writing it on a paper it's more like medieval music what do you call it at the time I don't know usually it's just church music that at that point it was it was church music and then secular music it's the people the things that the the little troubadours were writing and then it's the things that were actually written for God in the house of you know, God so and the things that were meant for choirs folk. Uh, which with their uh, their regional folk, folk regional folk is basically what we call Renaissance a lot to some extent, uh, and then from Renaissance you get Baroque, Baroque is is your first um, full fledged orchestras okay. like multiple instruments playing at once, then the classical era that's Mozart, then Romantic era that's uh, you know Beethoven to Brahms to Chopin, anyone Tchaikovsky. And then I it know gets these words. complicated. I know these words. I'm well, the so confused I by them. No, a, lot of this, a lot of this is very academic. This is like from a music history standpoint that I could... That I'm basically from, echoing college. But right? that's In why the forest asked, of music. But that's yeah. why I asked is because, yes, you just covered it with John and I knew that. Okay. But not yeah. in detail and our audience however many there are, may not have known exactly what you guys meant in that brief description, which oh, is why I asked you to elaborate. Well, I, I strongly encourage anyone listening to have a dictionary by their side. Preferably a music dictionary. In any case... Preferably uh, a music professor. 
Preferably, you should just go to his class and learn everything he says anyway. <laughs> I think um, we're asking a little much for our weekly listeners. I mean, on the basis of levels, I think predicting where it's going is difficult based on the variety and the sheer ridiculous, limitless amounts of different things that we have at our fingertips, as well as to predict what will fail. It's so much easier after the fact to go, well, clearly that was going to fail. But, but at the time... Well, don't you think it's kind of fascinating that culture today seems to look back on the birth of rock and roll as, as such a pivotal point? I mean, yeah. it's not that any other transition in history is any less pivotal, but there were so many things that just seemed to combine at that point. That yeah. You're going from a, a solitary composer or a haphazard group of like you know jazz musicians just getting together, which is still very troubadour To clearly to, collaborating and writing as yeah, a group. It's a strange thing. On, on the face of it, it doesn't seem so different. But why is culture so adamant about that? That rock and ro- the birth of rock and roll is what gave us all the other branches that we have today. And what's funny is that in the 90s and 2000s, there were artists who went the other way and were in a group and composed on their own again. On their own again. Like your Trent Reznor's yeah. and your, you know, uh, essentially the, the Trent Reznor generation of artists who just created everything themselves using a computer and then pulled the live band in later. That Which was is why that was mm. not unique. I'm not saying it was unique. That was not unusual, even in the classic rock era. I wasn't saying it was unusual. I was saying that we went back to it. A we lot. never left it. That's what I'm saying. Bands weren't the only thing. When you say Jimi Hendrix, you don't mean necessarily the Jimi Hendrix experience. He did a lot of individual work. But it wasn't... We never went away from that. Never really did. But it's a lot less common now than it was, say, in the classical era. Jim Morrison wrote the vast majority of The Doors' work. At least from a lyrical point of view. You know, this is true. He's making a good point. Like, Mm. the collaboration sometimes can be... Like, there may be one... (laughs) There may be one person in the band who really just doesn't do much except fill in his part. (coughs) Ringo. But, um... (laughs) Even the Beatles, most of their songs were... It's individually inspired yeah, and written or if and then in, performed as a band. Right. It's more like the collaboration in the case of the Beatles, a lot of times like Paul would come in with an idea and then John would turn it into something else. It's more like just watching how one idea can evolve. Uh, but that varies greatly from band to band. There really are a lot of bands out there that are, are, are uh, trumped by one person. Mm. Um... But Which is why bands. I go back to the question. It's not so much of a statement as it is a question. Societally speaking, we look on the birth of rock and roll as one of the most pivotal things to ever happen to music. Um, why? Why? Because of the relationship to all of the societal changes and economic changes that were going on at the same exact time. Bingo! Which at points is hard to differentiate which came first. Were these events That's first? true. Was the music first? Was the music inevitable because of the events and vice versa? You just hit on uh, on the million dollar point. Um, I, I think a lot of this stuff is very cultural, to be honest. I think that's when the music shifted from the work of the masters to the work of youth. So in that logic, we're not going to have our next big musical change until we have our next big cultural event. It may just be that. The other big thing is the sociological... Uh, movements such as 
or, or artistic movements such as like modernism to postmodernism. Yeah. You know, the way in which we view the world as being too complex to wrap our head around. That notion itself inspires certain levels of uh, of introvertedness to yeah. our music. The kind of contemplating the world around us. That's where you get your um your sad guy in a guitar trying to make sense of what's all around him. Or in a lot of other things. Were yeah. you that sad guy on a guitar? No, I Steve don't. Steve doesn't know how to play the guitar. Well, I mean, metaphorically. Um, I, I try to make sense of things. Oh, okay. <laughs> Every once in a while, I do. I think that we'll really see the next step in music, though, when we. I... Yeah, okay. That, that was we're, just an example. It of depends course, on you know, what. It can inspire any number of things. Yeah. You it know certainly what? inspired Jim Morrison, I'm, I'm sure. Just, I can't get words out because you guys keep talking over me. Now I know what it's like to be Matt. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Matt. Uh, then we'll see the next movement possibly extremely soon in the United States. Could be. I uh, mean, I remember. I don't know. I don't Occupy think we're all, New we're... York's not dead yet, and there is uh, a leaning towards liberalism in the youngest generation. I'm putting it out in the podcast right now that I think that that movement was a, a lot weaker. I think it was a a, a neo '60s thing. I don't think it had the same. Same staying power. Well, that's because it did not have, and it saw itself to be a uh, dissolved, non-unified leadership form, which is a great concept. It does not work as a movement, because there has to be people taking the lead, and that's why it kind of fell apart. But uh, the thing is, we—I don't know—we are kind of a complacent society these days, which is why I can't call—I can't call it very imminent. uh, Yes and no. I mean, it depends on where you are, but. I think that there actually might be a lot of culture and change revolving around this big, especially in the last recent couple of years, pushing equality and more importantly, more not more importantly, but more more prominently pushing uh, same-sex equality. And I th- and there's a musical, there is musical, you know, there are artists um, who are... That's just an aspect, though. And I'm yeah. not downplaying it yeah. in the slightest. It's just... Pff. We, any, we said this when we were talking about the heist, is that in many cases, one equality song can be much like another. It can be very yeah. preachy. It can be... You can, it's anything, the more important thing is is, uh, is the personal plight of, of a particular story involved, in which you can actually sympathize with someone who had dealt with those issues. Um, that in itself is still just one aspect. I don't know. It, I mean... If we're going to get a it's musical... not like logo movies are that popular. <laughs> if we're going to get a, a musical phenom that changes the world in any specific region, it's going to be the Middle East, to be honest. That's the greatest upheaval, and that's the greatest strife, and music thrives on strife. That's not a bad theory. Yeah, Considering actually. the Middle East and whatnot. But let's put it this way. Um, I still think that musically, America's pretty awesome, but man, we stole some thunder. From the rest of the world, I still think <laughs> I still think there's something to come out of the rest of the world. Oh, that is, it, for the moment, we're holding the reins. Uh, but at some point, in the, like our our cultural revolution occurred in the 50s and 60s. Many other nations' cultural revolutions still haven't happened yet. And also, when you think about it, I mean, or have happened, or have in, in our lifetime, True. especially, the U.S. has lost its grip on a lot of dominance. I mean, we've fallen behind on on a lot of things. We're still, I mean, we're still an advanced country but we're not the we're not the cool guy on the block anymore that everyone knows 
No, we're not everyone used to on look up to us. Now everyone seems to be suspicious of this, for for better, for worse, or for for right or wrong. Right. I mean, sometimes I think that people are suspicious of what they don't know, or uh, suspicious just because. Th- that's actually one other thing. Some I, I'm. Let me say one little cultural. I think that our generation is living in the shadow of of '60s rebels, to some extent. I can see that. That's that postmodernist notion that I'm talking about. The idea that. We, we've lost a, some sight of what we're fighting for, perhaps. Right. And I think that's the reason why America has lost its, stat- its stature, perhaps. I've, I've been preaching this since, like, high school. Uh, okay. Well, that exact terminology, even. Well, some, look, let's, let's face it. We've achieved a lot. And I think whenever you're living in the shadow of someone who achieved a lot more than you, <laughs> to some extent... Uh, then there's just a certain that that's where postmodernism comes from to some extent. Well, it's I, like we have Jobs and Gates, but they're no Edison or Einstein. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a different. Mentality. And I mean, if you look at like even in the medical field and 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 in law, a a lot of medical professionals are now coming from other countries, not from our country. You know what else it's done? It's made us very individualist. Yeah. I think it's made us more like if you can't attach yourself to an idea, then attach yourself to yourself. Yeah. Do do like get so you know almost blindsided that you can blindsight yourself to the internet, blindsight yourself to to whatever's out there. Do what feels right to you. I think, and that- I think there are a lot of artists out there that are just operating from from a personal standpoint because they don't want to be beholden to. You know, if if they do happen to sound like something, well, that's coincidence. But they were doing it for themselves, and that's what's important. And then, uh, no, I refute that one. Yeah. I feel like they're the minority, if anything, and that. People, but I think they're the future. Future, maybe, but minority, definitely. I the, disagree with the alter with the alternative wave of the last decade. I think that they were very much so trying to create something that was different, and yet it did not sound different in the long run. I disagree. Alt, this is, alt is such a broad genre, I feel like you cannot possibly say that. Alt is a term, not a genre. Alt is a term, it's because a quali- we can't define uh, it. a quantifier. Uh, Alright, yes, it is a quantifier. But the reason it is so broad is because we simply cannot define what they're doing, and I think that speaks to the individuals behind it. I think realistically, and kind of in closing of this conversation and where it's going, I think the fact that our country and a lot of countries have kind of cast this shadow and this grand creation that we've started to make that John's kind of got the right idea. The next revolution in music may not even be in this country or Britain. It may no, be I, I, I do agree with I that. I think that in closing, it's going to come from honestly, a place like mid, the Middle East or honestly, India. Honestly, what we consider the third world has smartphones. Might come from there. They have the ability to touch the outside world at I this think point. Like, yeah. Well, there is one thing here. You know, just to go back, to, I think a couple weeks ago, maybe we talked about this in the hymn, uh, uh, maybe three weeks ago on a podcast thirty-six. I don't know, whatever, <laughs> forty-six. I think, I think it has something to do with the fact that our own uh, ethnocentric view of world music tends to rely on a specific folk sound. Whereas there may be a lot more variety there. Uh, we're not... not it, we're, we're three white guys from Staten Island. Let's put it that way. Yeah. We don't know the, the variety that's going on in, in Tibet or yeah. in Eastern Russia. Um, 
Some of which may, yes, very much so uh, relate directly with the folk music that has existed for centuries. But we also don't know what else is going on. I like there could be another wave occurring. It's just our view of it is so singular. Yeah. Whereas we view our own music as being so incredibly diverse. You yeah. know that you can uh, just by going from New York to Kansas, you're going to get a culture shock musically. We don't see that in other nations. Right. We would see going two provinces over as uh, the same folk material. But, but, That's just not true. Right, yeah. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't yeah. exist. But there and is re- there is what becomes global, and that is, well, whatever record labels allow. And <laughs> Even I, theirs. And, and you know what? I'm on CNN all the time, so I probably should just check out their music area. Yeah, I mean, you probably should. I think I'm going to just make that my homepage from now on. I click of a button over. CNN. I go on entertainment, but it's mostly about movies and television. Which is a shame. Uh, I mean, this this topic is one of those that could kind of it's a linger on topic. forever. Well, that's why I I'm, I'm I'm pleased with it so far. Yeah. You're welcome. Another good topic I brought to the table. Yeah, Fair Don's enough. good for something after all. I think outside the box. I don't even have a box. I got rid of the box. Well, once you give me the outside of the box, then I'm I'm good at you know navigating it. <laughs> I had a few good points. Anyway, um, <laughs> Mr. Humility over here. <laughs> um, Go and brush your shoulders off. Well, I was being humil. I was having. Never mind. The, uh, so we're coming up on our one year. Um, the next podcast next week is our fiftieth. It'll be our last podcast of, of the year of season one of season one, essentially. Although we're still just going to number them straight for now. Um, and we when it I, comes out and, on CD, and we we'll, kind of we'll talked about it, and I think we're going to kind of kind of bring you something special next week where we may we're not going to have an album review we're just going to we're going to have we're going to try and have a very engaging all music talk podcast and see where we can it'll go be with that. one of those what is art discussions yeah and, um, which we brought up before on the podcast a, a, a very interesting thesis do you want me to explain it yeah, give, give a sentence okay I would like to compare music and people's critiques of music compared to their critiques of other forms of art. After all, we are a music podcast, so I think that's a very uh, broad-spectrum topic, and in, uh, I think it will take an entire podcast to uh, fulfill it. And it's kind of the culmination of a lot of what we've been talking about this entire year. So. And our, our next pick for... Steve will bring us next week uh, his pick for his next choice. Yes, and oh. then we will hit the the circle again. Um, which you still won't tell me what it is. I we, just, I'm I was, sure I've told you like several no, times. You just, you just you won't let me remember it. Like, <laughs> yes, it's his like, fault. You can't remember. Like Text it to me. I'll listen to it. I know um, it's Prague, so it's dangerous. I have a few things in the works dangerous. as far as guests go, but nothing set in stone yet. Um, so we'll keep you updated on that as always. Um, I haven't said this in a while, so please email us, guys. Uh, Crash chords blog at gmail.com we have the donate button on the website click it give us your money so we can make things better buy a newer microphone um follow that kind us of things. like us love us be facebook us. twitter whoa yes the whole nine oh, we i actually i have a uh, tumblr as well that i've started utilizing again i'm going to be posting the podcast there so if you're a tumblr user expose yourself to us wow yeah and on that note steve why don't you give us our uh fan mail so we can get the hell out of here a packet of envelopes by Clomid Knowledge, New Knowledge, Knowledge Elements of New Advanced Elements. By Maya. Well, that almost, like, the name sounds legit. Yeah, Maya. That's a bad yeah. translator gone way wrong. 
I don't even know if it's translated. That's ninety-two steps. I don't even know. I don't think you could possibly translate that and 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 discover real words in any language. You don't spend enough time on mem setter. That that could have happened. Meme. That's what I said. No, you said mem. Both ways. He's no. this thing where he says mem. I don't know. Just like he says melee, or melee, or whatever it is. It's melee. <laughs> it's not melee. Melee. It's melee. I, anyway, on that note. That sounds like something I'd put on my pie. <laughs> what? I, never mind. <laughs> As always, music is life, and and life life is is good. good.